Brown. It's good to be back at the Advent, my church in Birmingham. I keep telling my congregation when I retire, I'm coming to pastor this church. <laughs> We're in the season of Lent. Lent's a time not only of tracing the steps of our Lord to the week of passion, but it's also a moment in which we reflect on the events leading up to this week. Several interesting conversations have taken place with Jesus and his disciples. One that stands out as found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And then the other side of the same coin is read in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 36. It is Jesus and his disciples moving south from the base of Mount Hermon on their way to Capernaum. Several things have taken place. There has been the great confession of Peter. There has been the transfiguration of our Lord and the constant announcement of his prediction of passion. You would think in the solemnity of those three titan events that people would behave themselves. But the disciples had some questions that they wanted to ask. And one of the questions that came to the surface was, who's the greatest? It's really written to be asked, who's the greater one who will be, allow me to say reverently, top dog? Who's the greatest? I remember when 22-year-old Cassius Marcellus Clay, on the way in to fight that day the most feared boxer on the planet, he came out and he stood and was weighed, and then he said these words. He says, I'm the greatest. I'm pretty. I'm a bad man. <laughs> People looked at Clay that day the way that folk look at people who believe that they may be possessed with something. I'm the greatest. I'm a pretty man. I'm a bad man. Words like this really have no place in, you know, polite conversation. No one would ever think anybody would say something like, I'm the greatest. And I think today we don't have nearly as many colorful athletes as we did in the past. There were those who claimed their own stake of greatness. There was a baseball player by the name of Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, who made the comment that he was the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> greatest. And there are other people who made claims about greatness. But this day, their claims pale in comparison to what these disciples were discussing. When you read this in your quiet moments, Matthew opens up by saying, after this, after the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi, after the transfiguration at the peak of the mountain, after the prediction, they began asking, moving south, 
Mark says to Capernaum. Matthew says that they blurted it out. Mark says that Jesus asked. Luke says that Jesus perceived supernaturally what they were talking about and they wanted to know who was actually the greatest. Greatness is misunderstood here by these disciples, but you can understand why they may have felt this way. Jesus himself had divided the team into the varsity and junior varsity, and he would take the varsity with him places where the junior varsity would not go, the A team versus the B team, on top of a mountain, transfiguration, confession, Caesarea Philippi. And can you imagine what the conversation sound like after this? You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to pick it up. You know what they were talking about. The disciples are now moving in one direction. And the disciples that had been left at the base camp asked, what happened on top of that mountain? And Peter said, Jesus told us not to tell you because you're not spiritually capable enough to handle it. Now that's enough to stir up who's the greatest on a day like that. And so this went back and forth of who is the greatest one. And Jesus, catching the altitude of their attitude, decided that he would bring that attitude down to a base level and try to give some clarity to the misunderstanding of what greatness looks like and what greatness sounds like. So he confronts the confusion of greatness right where the disciples are. And in doing so, he does two things. One is he seeks to reverse the role of value. And then he seeks to just reverse the role. He knew that they had their sights on seats, that they wanted to be the prime ministers in the more or less physical institution, that they thought that the kingdom of God was something that would compete with possibly the Roman government, that it would wrestle against that which is flesh and blood, that which they could see with their own eyes. And so Jesus says, let me help you about the kingdom and what it looks like. You want to be great in the kingdom? Is that what you really want? Those that will be great in my kingdom will become like little children. The King James, I, use, I think, uses the term will be converted. The better translation is turned, turned. You'll turn. You'll become like a little child. Then he moves beyond that and he says, but not only is value changed, but the role is changed. And that is the greatest in my kingdom will be a servant. And this is language that we particularly don't like talking about servant and children. And yet Jesus holds these two before us today and says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, this is what it looks like. 
It's actually the kind of upside down of the kingdom of God, isn't it? The paradox of the kingdom. To go up, you go down. You ascend by descending. You stoop to conquer. Strange paradox in the kingdom. And yet, this is what Jesus says greatness looks like. When I was a boy, my mother would take us over to Cressus or Grant in downtown Houston. I could not resist the temptation of always wanting to run down the up escalator. And I would do it all the time. As a boy, I would try to run down the up escalator. The only thing is, each time I would step down just that nanosecond where I was pausing, the escalator kept moving up. Jesus says, you see, the way up in my kingdom is those that know how to descend, to go down. And the more you try to descend, to go down, to humble, the more God raises up. And then he puts a demonstration right before them. Let me show you what the kingdom of God greatness really looks like, how it really looks. And Jesus reaches over for a child. Now, we value children in America, but you remember this is 2,000 years backwards. Children had no prominent place. Children were behind women. Children were behind the slaves. Children couldn't earn their way that the children were dependent upon the help of everybody else. And so children were disposable. They were easily dispensed of. So Jesus brings into the center that which would be easily ridded of. You remember all those occasions where Jesus is feeding a multitude and you find those lines in the scripture where it says 5,000 men and then we add into that not counting the women and children. It shows you how dispensable the children are. And Jesus has a way. This week reminds us of using what other people would throw away. Using the unusable. But here he uses a child and says to the child, come to me and the child comes without reluctance, without debate, without negotiation, without dialogue. Jesus reaches for the child and the child comes here. Come to me. And the child stands in the midst of Jesus and the disciples. He says, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? He said, here it is right here. When I call you, you come. You want to know what the kingdom looks like? Drop your petty arguments of comparing blessings and goods and gifts of others with yourself and become like a child and receive me to yourself. You want to know what greatness in the kingdom looks like? When I call, you answer. Well, O.I. Lee was bouncing around that day he would go on to fight the most notorious fighter in the ring, Sonny Liston. Sonny was big and black and bad. Everybody feared him. Mafioso connections. And there old pretty Ali floating around. Beat him so that at the seventh round, Sonny Liston just spit his mouthpiece out. Got rid of it. 
wouldn't even get out, out of the corner. And you know what he did then. I'm a bad man. I'm pretty. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Well, we buried Muhammad Ali last year, and no doubt his life transcended the boxing ring. He was really a great one. Transcended culture and class. He was really great. He died as a great one. But there was another one that would go on to live and die that holds exclusively the claim of saying, I'm the greatest. Muhammad Ali would go on and he would die and he would be buried. And I'm sure if you go to Kentucky now, you can still exhume the remains of the great one that fought. But there's another one that's greater, who lived like other men lived, who died like other men died, who was buried like other men were buried. But three days later, he got up. In fact, I like the way Paul says, God raised him up and he got up. And if you take a journey to Jerusalem, they'll take you to a tomb and say, he's not here. He is risen. There's only one who really exclusively holds that claim. And his name is Christ Jesus, the Lord. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your scripture lessons in Matthew and Mark that reminds us of who the real great one is. As we seek what it means to be great, teach us what humility looks like. And may we accept your will the same way that child did when you said, Come to me. Bless the life of your people today as we go forward into the world, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.